six months since I last stood up here. A lot has changed, but God is still on the throne. Trials have come. Tribulations are ever more abounding. The devil, it seems, is roaring really loud right now. But yet here we are, small in number, but mighty in God. Um, wow, I actually didn't think I'd get emotional standing here looking at the small number, but thank you so much for those of you who got out of your bed early and came here at an early slot. I heard it is alphabetical, so A through whatever. I'm a C, I'm a Campbell, so yep, you get the cream of the crop, you get the first sermon, Merv's fresh, he's had rest, the second and third ones I will be sure to tell them are not as good. So next week at 8.30, this place will be packed. Thank you, brother, for reading Mark. How long do I have? Now, Eric already gave me strict instructions. And I'm already starting a timer, okay? So I know we're on a tight schedule, so let's see how this goes. I've never preached till the clock before. In 1871... Tragedy struck. Does anyone know what? Wow. No history buffs in here. There was a fire. You're cheating because you know. Okay? In 1871, tragedy struck Chicago as a fire ravaged that great city. When it was finally extinguished, the fire had taken over 300-odd lives. Quite a lot. But it had left some 100,000 homeless without a place to call their abode. A man by the name of Horatio Spafford was one of those who tried to help the people of that great city. Now the light bulbs are starting to come on. Spafford was a lawyer, a very smart and wealthy man who had invested very, very heavily into many different avenues in that great city. And he like the rest of those people, lost everything. The temporal things of this world were gone. Spafford, just the year before, had also lost his firstborn son. He had died. Still, for two years, Spafford stayed in that great city and tried to help the homeless, tried to help the impoverished, those who were grief-stricken, and those who were indeed ruined by that great fire. After about two years of such work, Spafford and his family decided to take a vacation, or a holiday, as we would like to call it. They were going to go to England. Not a good place to go. Ireland would have been a much better choice. But he wanted to go there because he wanted to join Moody in one of their evangelistic crusades. Then he traveled to Europe, but Horatio, sadly, was delayed by some business that he had to take care of. He'd sent his family on ahead, and he would catch up in a few weeks after he had gone away, or after they had gone away. Their ship never made it. Off Newfoundland, and if you ever do fly San Francisco to Dublin, okay, highly recommend it, you will fly over this very spot. I always make sure that I have my map on the TV screen and the airplane and just about then go for a little walk and I look over and you can see exactly where it was. The ship that his wife and his children were on collided with an English sailing ship and it sank within 20 minutes. Though Horatio's wife Anna was able to cling to a piece of floating wreckage, she was only one of 47 survivors their four daughters, Maggie, Tanada, Annie, and Bessie, were all killed. Horatio received that awful telegram from his wife that only said two words long, saved, alone. Spafford boarded the next available ship to be near his grieving wife. And when the ship passed near the spot where the, his, the previous ship had gone down. The captain called Spafford to the deck. And he said, brother, this is where it went down. 
Horatio took a piece of paper and he penned these words. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, lest, let this blessed assurance control that Christ hath regarded my helpless estate and hath shed his own blood for my soul. And then this is the verse that gets me every time. My sin, O oh, the blessed, this man is grieving his wife, or not his, not his wife, but his children. He's writing these words. And he writes, O oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin not in part but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O oh, my soul. Even in grief, he thought of Christ. And then to end it, he says, And Lord, haste the day when my faith shall be sight, the clouds be rolled back as a scroll, the trump shall resound, and the Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well with my soul. There's a lot more to that story. And there's a lot more to that song. But it paints the illustration of how God can work through tragedy. Every one of us this morning sitting in this room has been impacted by tragedy to some degree. Just the very fact, boys and girls, that we can't meet as a whole body of believers under one roof at one time is a tragedy. Whether that tragedy be illness, whether it be infirmity, whether it be death, or many of the other thousands of things that it could be, we all have experienced pain. We all have experienced suffering, a broken spirit, a contrite heart. Tragedy has touched us all. Whether the pain is a physical pain or whether it's spiritual, we've all been affected. Christ said it would be this way in John 16. Job also in Job 14.1 said about the plight of man, and how man would be with much tragedy. But this morning, if you only listen to one thing, I'm not saying after I say this you can get up and walk out, but if you only take one thing away, it's this. When tragedy comes your way, Jesus is more than adequate to take care of that situation. Remember the words that he said in John 16, 33. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. And a lot of the times we stop at that full stop and we move on. But the second part of that verse is, is as much important, if not more important, when Jesus goes on to say, in this world you will have tribulation, but take heart. Brothers and sisters, take heart this morning. Christ said these things. I have overcome the world. The one who you come to worship and serve this morning has overcome the world. In the passage that we read in Mark, we are confronted with a father who is experiencing tragedy like none other. That day, death showed up at the house of Jarius, and it had come for his 12-year-old daughter. His heart is broken, and yet in the midst of his tragedy, in the midst of being downcast, in the midst of death, he turns to the Lord Jesus Christ. Jarius that day found out that Jesus is more than enough, more than enough in times of our tragedy and troubles. This morning I want to look on in the events of this passage and I want to look closely at this tragic tearful scene to see how Jesus, as it were, is able to snatch victory from the very jaws of Tevit. If you're taking notes, the heading for our, or the banner that we lay over it this morning is a tearful moment with our Savior. And we're going to open this passage in three, part, in three different parts. Wow, time's racing on, gee. Okay, three points. First one is a pitiful dialogue, three Ps. 
So if you like alliteration, good job. Put P on the left-hand side of your page and just fill it out. It's a pitiful dialogue, a painful delay, and a powerful deliverance. So first of all, a pitiful dialogue. We're told here that Jarius is a ruler of the synagogue. That means that Jarius is a man of prominence. He's a man of position. He's a man of prestige. He's a man of prevail. He's a man of prosperity. And he's a man of power. He was a man who had it all, so it seemed. But at this moment when we meet him, it means nothing. When Jarius spoke, people listened. When he walked into a room, everyone stood up in recognition. No one did that when I got up front, so obviously I'm not really anybody. I'm just kidding. But we don't do that nowadays. We only do it when it's real special people. So boys and girls, if you're thinking who Jarius is, think of the president, think of the queen, think of someone who's really important. When they walk in, you listen and you stand up. When Jarius walked in, these things happened to him. But now he finds himself in a place where none of this matters. Sickness and death couldn't care less about who this man is. What possessions he had. Here is a man who is religious and in inverted commas. But his religion is powerless to help him in this situation. I guarantee you that Jarius would have treated everything that he had, everything, all his wealth, all his power, everything to change that situation. You see, that day life became very defined for Jarius. He had everything or so he thought. But in reality, what he had in this world meant nothing. You see, death had come to the house of Jarius, and it had come for his, his real treasure. Look at verse 23 when it says that little daughter, or the one that Luke calls his only, one only daughter. She was dying, and she was his real treasure. Parent, put yourself in that situation. I have a daughter who's 10, and... If, I, if she got sick and I could give everything away to save her, I would do it. And you would too. And so would Jarius. Some people spend their lives amassing power and they amass wealth. But when tragedy comes, those things mean absolutely nothing. Death doesn't care if you're a millionaire. I always joke with my boys that I'd rather them be a bin man. You don't know what that is. A trash man. The guy who picks up the trash and know Christ than be a millionaire and not know him. Sickness and sorrow doesn't care if you've got power, if you've got prestige, if you've got position in the community. Sorrow and suffering don't care if you're popular. Hell couldn't care, couldn't care less about who you are. When tragedy and death comes calling, you better know one who is greater than yourself. You better know where to get that help that you need. You see, life becomes really crystal clear and really focused when tragedy comes. What you think matters now will cease to matter then. You see, Jarius knew where to go, but do you? Somewhere Jarius had heard about Jesus, and the name Jarius means he whom God enlightens. Quite poignant then that God at this point opens the eyes of this Jewish official, and he sees that Jesus is his only hope. And at this very moment, his daughter is dying, and it just so happens that Jesus is passing through his town. What a coincidence. Not. It was the divine plan of God that allowed the paths of Jarius and Jesus to cross that very day. See, boys and girls, Jesus is always passing by. Jesus is there, ready and willing. You just have to put your faith in him. 
We see, notice how this man of position and power came before Jesus Christ. He came reverently. He came prayerfully. And he began, he came passionately. The Bible says that he fell at Jesus' feet, verse 22. The word fell means to descend from a higher or lofty place and to go lower. In other words, this big man humbled himself in the presence of the Lord of glory. He came down from his lofty perch to humble himself before our God. Sadly, this is something that many people never do. Before you're ever going to get anywhere with the Lord, you have to humble yourself in his presence. You're going to have to get small before him. You're going to have to come to the place where he is everything and you are nothing. One of the greatest truths in the Bible is this, that the way up is down. If you think of those passages in James 4 and 1 Peter, and I don't have time to read them, but go home and read them. Look up James 4 and 1 Peter 5. Do you see that man must humble himself before God? Man is so full of pride and arrogance. Even in the days we live in, do we not see that? That man thinks he is above everything else. He is above God. Even from our own state capitol building. If you want a sermon on why you should sing in church, I would recommend Meister's last week. But again, I don't have any time to get into it. But man is so prideful that he thinks he is above God, but not the case here with Jarius. He lowered himself. He got low. He bowed his face, as it were, in the dust. And he came reverently before his God. When we come to that place where we see our own inability, and yet his ability then we are in a position to receive what we need from him. You see, when this man comes to Jesus and falls down before him and he makes his petition to the Lord, he's saying to Jesus, I cannot do this thing, but I believe you can. Are you there this morning? What a statement of faith that is. Is that the place where you've gotten to in your life? That you, it's like family worship in here, it's great. I love it. Don't worry, it's fine. I got a two-year-old redhead. This is nothing. <laughs> Try to do family worship with that kid. Poof, nightmare. You see, whether it be for your own salvation or whether it be for the salvation of a loved one, or whether it be for that time when you're in trouble or tragedy, we have, got, we have got to get to that place when we realize that we can't, but God can. A few months ago when I preached here in Daniel 6, and for those of you who thought Daniel 7 was coming today, nah, it's got shelved. No, not all. More blessed for you. But I said that Daniel in that lion's den did a thing. He prayed. He prayed in that den that those lions' mouths would not rip him apart. Was Daniel able to go with string and wrap their mouths? No. He had faith. He believed. Same as Jarius here. He had faith and he believed. This morning, do you have faith? Do you believe? This is God, the holy God, the God who will not be mocked. He is the three-time holy God. Do you know him? Do you believe in him? You see, Joshua, in Joshua 5, he meets the Lord. And he's commanded to remove his shoe from off his foot. Please don't remove your shoe. 
this morning. But he's told to remove just one shoe. And the answer why he did that lies in an ancient custom. When a covenant was made between two individuals in, when, in which one possessed power and the other one wasn't able to, and the other one didn't have the means, the weaker one would give a shoe. And it was a sign. It was a, it was a way of saying, I can't, I can't meet you, but you can. This is seen in the book of Ruth, chapter 4. And for time or things, I'll just read the last couple of verses. Now, this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging to confirm a transaction. The one drew off his sandal and gave it to another, and this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. For Joshua, this was a challenge for him to come to the place where he could admit his own weakness and inability to gain the victory. It was a time when Joshua had to surrender to the Lord. For us, perhaps we're like Joshua. We're struggling to get there. We're struggling to, as it were, take off our shoe and hand it over. You see, there are some in this room this morning, and as small as we are, I can guarantee that some of you have been trying to fight these battles yourself. Some of you have tried to fight battles and win wars that you cannot do. And I guarantee 100% you keep losing if you do it in your own esteem. Friend, you need to get to that place where you symbolically, and I mean symbolically, don't take off your shoe, okay? Where you get there and you draw off your shoe and you hand it to God and you say, Lord, I can't win these wars. I can't win these battles. I need you in my life. I need you to take me and mold me and make me yours. You see, we need to get to that place of absolute surrender. To that place where we all have, when we're all at the feet of Jesus and we look to him and we say, Lord, I can't, but you can. Brothers and sisters, that's where we need to get this morning. But secondly, there's a painful delay. We're on schedule. A painful delay. When Jarius shares the story with Jesus, he does indeed receive a sympathetic ear. Jesus is interested in his needs and he begins to walk, as it were, with Jarius to his house. And just as a side note, but it's not really a side note, what a blessed truth that is. If you just were to stop, and we could preach a whole sermon just in verse 24, the interest that our Savior had with Jarius. When you bring your needs to Jesus, he's already on your way to your situation to do something about your need. Satan whispers in your ear, look, don't worry about it. Don't pray, don't read. What difference is it going to do? Jesus doesn't care about you. Brothers and sisters, there's nothing that could be farther from the truth. He cares and he cares deeply. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, Cast all your anxieties on him because what? He cares for you. If you're found in Christ this morning, he cares for you. Matthew eleven twenty eight says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will do what? I will give you rest. Here? No. Eternally? Yes. That is where we're going. Hebrews 4 says, For we do not have a high priest who is un unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Listen to this. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. 
If there's a verse that brothers and sisters across California, United States, Ireland, wherever need to read, it's that we need to be drawing near to the throne of grace with confidence. Not shaking our fist in God and saying, why are you doing these things? It's God's sovereign plan that what is happening in our world and where we live at right now is for his glory. We might wrestle with that. But we have to get to the part where we go to the throne with confidence. We leave it at his feet and we trust in him. If you're taking notes, I'm not reading nine verses. So look up Matthew 6, 25 to 31. Where Jesus again tells us not to be anxious about our lives. My goodness, how much fear has gripped us this past four and a half, five months. Christ tells us, why are you anxious about what you eat or what you drink? If you're found in him, you have it all. He knows when a sparrow falls from the sky. He knows the very hair on your head for some. He knows you. He knows your life. He knows your life better than you do. Run to him. Cling to him. When fear, anxiety, when you feel like you're burdened, what does he say? Come to me. Don't go to Facebook. Don't go to the news channels. Go to your Bible. Read it. Start at the Gospel of Matthew. Read through all the Gospels. See Christ. Don't read 50 articles on coronavirus. Go to God. As Jesus goes with Jarius, they're stopped with this woman with the issue of blood. And if I ever get to come back here, there's a sermon on the woman with the issue of blood. But think, think about it from Jarius' situation. This prominent man, big man, falls at Jesus' feet. Jesus says, right, let's go. The next thing, this woman shows up and it's as if someone hit the pause button. Did you ever see those photographs where this is still and there's other stuff running over here? Well, Jarius is standing there going, what the heck is going on? What is the issue here? Come on, let's go. No doubt Jarius is probably pulling at the cloak of Jesus. Who would know? Grabbing him, saying, let's get out of here. My daughter is dying. But stop and think. None of the gospel writers ever put any record that Jarius said things during this delayed time. We don't see him impatiently pulling at the robes of Jesus to hurry him along. He certainly doesn't interrupt the Lord's dialogue with this poor woman with her issue. He merely waits until Jesus is free and can continue on with him. Is that not a response of faith? If ever there was a, sh a snapshot of what faith looks like, that would be it. Here is a man who has come to the place where he knows, look, I can't do anything. I can't solve this problem. He's placed his problems in the very hands of Jesus and he's left them there. What a lesson for us. Regardless of the issue, if it's the salvation of a loved one, if it's the pains and the heartache that we have, if it's issues even within our own physical bodies, When we bring it to him, learn to leave it with him. And not only learn to leave it with him, but be excited to see what he can do with it. This past seven months have been some of the darkest in my life. You all know I've got Crohn's. And there are many days I sit without graphical details, but in the, re in the restroom for hours, stupidly add something I shouldn't have. Come on, Merv, get with the program, son. 
But as you sit there, what else are you going to do but pray? And when you're in that deep, dark valley of physical sickness, there is one who draws close. There is one who comes near. There is one who says, Merv, son, you can't do anything. Leave it with me. Am I healed? No. But I have peace. When peace like a river attendeth my way. When sorrow, and I am not in any sorrow with death or anything else. But there are days when it's a dark, dark place. But as I am dark, he is light. And he is everything. You see, during this time of delay, a servant of Jarius comes and, and says those words, Jarius, your daughter is dead. Jarius hears in verse 34, the woman with the issue of blood saying, your faith has made you well, to your daughter is dead. Can you imagine how Jarius felt at that very moment? All of his dreams and all of his hopes were in an instant shattered and broken. Perhaps, we don't know, but perhaps he said in his heart, man, if it hadn't have been for the crowd, if it hadn't have been for that woman, Jesus would have been able to get there in time. Surely this man is wondering why. Why, Lord? How many times has that similar thought run through our hearts? Perhaps death has come and there's no more hope. And how we are shaken with such news. And how we look back. Oh, how we love to look back. And we think of all the times that we prayed. And all the times that we, we wondered. And we wonder, why did the Lord tarry? Why did he allow these things to happen? Friends, you aren't the first one to question God's timing. Think of Mary and Martha concerning Lazarus. Think of the disciples on that boat in the storm when they questioned Jesus, where, the, where were ye? But did you know that our Lord's delay are part of his eternal plan? You see, in the end, Mary and Martha saw Jesus raise the dead and the disciples saw Jesus walk on that water. Neither would have if Jesus had not delayed in his coming to them. You see, sometimes he tarries just because he loves us. So when it seems that God is moving slow, and perhaps we're thinking where we live at right now, God is moving real slow. Don't give up. Do not give up. While God is never early, he is never late. God's timing is perfect in all things. Of course, what we see as a delay is really God moving out at the right time. Someone's turning the lights off. They want me to go home. You see, the deity never has to hurry. God always shows up on time. Just like you 830 folk. Showed up on time. God shows up on time for all things. It's us who have the issue. We're such an impatient bunch. We pray about a situation and we expect to get a text or a phone call in 30 seconds to say that the problem has been sorted. That's not God's plan. Perseverance of the saints is in there for a reason. This is a long, drawn-out slog. Sometimes without any results in this life, but who cares? You have eternal life. Something to look forward to. Thirdly, 
a powerful deliverance. Jarius has went to Jesus. He's fell at his feet. Jesus has given him that sympathetic ear and was listening and was on his way and got delayed. And now the daughter is dared. So thirdly, a powerful deliverance. A tragic situation of a daughter being sick is now what some would say an impossible situation. This little girl is no longer sick. She's dead. You see, even in this tragic moment, it's interesting to see how faith reacts. You see, Jarius has placed his faith in Jesus and Jesus alone. And even in the face of death, his faith doesn't waver. Notice how the faith in Jesus saw him produce a great victory. Think of the, the scene back at the house. They're all wailing. They're crying their eyes out. Now the police are coming for me. It's quite an interesting spot right here. But you see, if you were to look at the house and all those people mourning that death of that little girl, and then you look at Jarius, think of the faith that he had. Jesus says to Jarius, Do not be afraid, only what? Believe. What a word of faith from our Savior. Jesus is saying to him, look, verse 35, don't believe what you hear. Don't believe what you know, even in verse 38 to 39, that she's now dead. And don't believe what you see. That little girl lying there lifeless. But just do one thing. Trust me. Believe in me. And you will see the power that I have. You see, that is what faith says to us today. Every instinct and every indicator may say, look, this is hopeless. But faith looks away to God who is greater than anything that we can hear, know, or see. What I'm saying to you this morning, brothers and sisters, bring your need to Christ. You need to trust Jesus and you need to leave it with Jesus. Everything about the situation may say, look, it's not going to work out. But you leave it in his hands and you leave it by faith and you trust in him. For all circumstances. But then the question is, are you content to let him do it his way? My friends, whether it's your own salvation, the salvation of another, or any problem that you might want to name, he is more, more than adequate for the task. Get that problem into his hands and leave it there. You see, notice that Jesus put out everyone who didn't believe in him. Who got to go into the room? Only a select few. Those who lacked faith were excluded from seeing him move and work in power. You see, things haven't changed. Faith believes the incredible. It sees the invisible and it receives the impossible. Unbelief receives nothing from the hand of God but damnation. When Jesus entered that room where that dead girl was lying, he took her by the hand. Don't just read over that. Did you ever read the book of Leviticus? Oh yeah. Whenever you start the year and you get till about what? Mid-February? You go, I'm just going to go to the New Testament right now. Can I encourage you to read the book of Leviticus? Okay, I had to teach it in Sunday school to 8 to 10 year olds. Man alive, there's so much in there. It's so good. And it makes you see things here that beforehand you just would have read, you just would have read over this and went, 
He took her by the hand. Do you realize what that did? Do you realize what that did to Jesus? Made him unclean. Ceremonial, he was now unclean. Didn't matter to Christ. I preached here the very first time of Joseph of Arimathea. He also took the body of this Jesus that we're looking at this morning, our Christ, our Savior, and put it on himself, and he became unclean. See, these things are in there for a reason. Christ has done away with all that. We don't have altars here this morning and sacrificing animals. We come to worship the one true and living God. The one who has overcome all these things. The one who has overcome all these ceremonial laws. And Jesus took her by the hand. She was dead. We would say dead as a dodo in Ireland. That's a bird that's extinct now, probably. But yeah, she was dead. But who is the one who conquered death? Who is the one who died for you? He's not dead still, because he rose again. He took her by the hand, and he told her to rise, and she did. You see, when life came back into that body, death had to flee. How do we know she was alive? Well, she had all the telltale signs. You know, Mark makes, makes no hesitation to make sure that we get the point. Does a dead person want to eat? Does a dead person get up and walk around? No. She is alive. It's funny how those are the signs of spiritual life as well. Food for our souls and being able to go out into that world and teach the gospel to others. When those in the room saw what Jesus had done, the Bible tells us that they were astonished with a great astonishment. Those two words come from a word that means to, as it were, throw out of position or to be out of one's mind. Literally, when they saw what Jesus had done, it blew their minds. Their jaws hit their chests and they were in amazement. This girl was sick died, Christ took her by the hand, and now she is alive. Boys and girls, he's waiting to do that same thing in your life today. Do you know that you're sick? Do you know that one day you will die? You might think you're really young. When you get to my age, things start to creak and hurt really creaking hurt but you might think wow well I'm young I don't I can wait a while today today is the day of salvation today is the day when you can see Christ in all of his glory he took a little girl who was sick who died and he made her alive he can do the same for you you might not be physically sick but you spiritually are we all are. Some of us have put our faith in Christ and we are now alive. Some here this morning are not. Some of you this morning need to bring your soul to Jesus and you need to be saved. You needn't fear that he won't because he will. He will and he'll fix that which is broken in your life. You might think, I'm too bad to be a Christian. Christ can save anyone. Some of you this morning perhaps need to bring a lost spouse before the Savior. You've prayed for your husband or your wife for years. Keep on praying. Do not lose hope. Perhaps some of us parents have children who are still outside of the kingdom and we've been praying from the moment we heard that we were having kids right up till today and yet they're still not saved. Don't give up. Have faith. Leave it with Christ and see what he can do. Put them in his hands 
and leave them to him. Teach them, nurture them in his truth, but leave them with him. For some of us who are believers this morning, perhaps we need to bring a situation that's causing us fear and worry. 2nd of February, I believe, was the last time I preached here on Daniel. And I said that persecution was knocking at the door of the church. I believe he's now stepped through the door. Persecution is dawning in the state of California and, in fact, the whole world. Even in my own home country, church is still not meeting. Many are in fear today about not singing and opening their voices with all that they have. I just want to thank you guys so much for singing this morning. Such a blessing. We are required by God to open our mouths and to sing and to worship and praise him. We need to have that faith in us that God is in control of all things. You see, it's only the beginning. They'll stop us or try to from singing in church. And if we give up on this one, what else will we give up on? I preached a sermon here one time when I said about an army officer who drew a line in the sand. And he drew it. And on the other side was a big tough guy. And the tough guy got up into his face. And the army officer said, if you cross the line, I'll punch you. Big tough guy got up, came to the line. What did the army guy do? Moved the line, took it back. And he kept taking it back. And he kept taking it back. And he kept taking it back. Brothers and sisters, we need to draw a line. And we need to believe in the Jesus that Jarius ran to. Some of you might not agree with what I just said. And that's okay. We all love one another and we care for one another. But this is God's church. And we are God's people. And we're called to worship and praise God. If you're fearful this morning, if you're worrying about what will happen next, why? Why are you worried? Why are you fearful? God is in control of all things. The sparrow in the sky, the air that we breathe, he is in control of us too. He is our God. This morning, brothers and sisters, will we buckle under the pressure and fear of man? Or will we have faith And I encourage every one of you to go on Amazon. We all love Amazon. Two-day shipping is great. So by Tuesday, you should all have this book. And buy the Fox's Book of Martyrs. And open at page one. Don't skip to the first chapter. Open at the very first page and read it. And take it in. We don't know what way this world is going to end. We don't know what way we're being directed by those in authority above us. And yes, we have to have respect and we have to honor them in some things. But when it comes to our faith in Christ, are we willing to go to the stake as many did in that book? Are we willing to go to the gallows as many of my people in my land did for their faith? This morning, brothers and sisters, whatever it is, 
bring it to Christ. Give it to him. And watch him change it for his glory, not yours. I don't know what you need. I come in here every once in a while to preach, and I don't really know you all that well. But I follow you on Facebook, some of you. And I don't know what your needs are. God does. So bring it to him. Leave it to him. And get the peace and comfort you need from him today. Let's pray. Our loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time that we've been able to spend in your word. We do thank you for the example that Jarius is to us of faith. And yet he is only a mere man. Dear Lord, we need the faith that comes from you and you alone to stand in the days that you have placed us in. Days of turbulence, days of trials, days of tribulation. You're a God who is in control of all things and we trust and believe in you with all of our hearts. Dear Lord, help those this morning who indeed perhaps are fearful, perhaps are worrying of what next. Help them to see that you're in control of all things. For those who need to come to you in saving faith this morning, we plead, save them. Some of these young children, dear Lord, what a blessing it was to have young people listen to your word. And we pray as they listened on that you would be dealing in their hearts as only you can. That some of these young people sitting here this very morning, as they leave, would see their need of a Savior. That they would come to you and that they would confess their sins to you and be called one of yours. Take us to our homes in safety for those of us who leave, for those who will gather in the next service. Dear Lord, may you encourage our hearts as they come in, and may you be with us all and go before us. And we leave these things in your Son's precious name. Amen.